0: So, uh, March 2020, a friend of mine took me to a Sixers game. I'm a huge Sixers fan. I'm an irrational Sixers fan. I'm a process trusting Sixers fan. I love the Sixers, and uh, I, you know, you got to go, like, live sporting events, there's just something about being there, you got to go, uh, but when I go to a Sixers game, like, when I took my son uh, before we had moved to Indiana, you know, several years ago, uh, the tickets that I can afford are the bad tickets, like, the highest, seat, like, the, like, you got, like, you're up there, that's, like, that's where I can afford to sit. The last game, in fact, I went to before this game in March 2020. We sat so far back, I could touch the back wall of the stadium from where we were sitting. Like at one point, my son's like, it, wouldn't this have just been better at home? It's like, yes, it, <laughs> it would, have, would have been and cheaper. And you know, but in March 2020, my friend took me to a Sixers game. Uh, it would, ironically, what ended up being the last Sixers game of 2020 before the pandemic. We were there the night we're like looking at our phones and like, oh, the NBA is shutting down. We're like, uh, are, we, are we in trouble here? Now, you know, now we know, but at the time, it was all new. And he had very good seats. I mean, he was like, we were like here, like you guys, like this, was, this is where we were. We were, so, we were like feet away from the team when they ran in for introductions. We're so close that you could feel the heat from the, the pyrotechnic things they use. Uh, We were uh, behind the basket, maybe like, I don't know, 25 rows back. I mean, they were really, to the point you could get a sense of how big NBA players are. You know, on the screen, it's like, oh, they look like, you know, slightly taller people. And then you see them close to floor level, like, they're all giants, all of them oh, such good seats, such good seats. And there was even more stuff than just like a great view. They came with this like laminated pass that got us into a special entrance, that got us access to a special elevator, that got us access to the Lexus Club, which is like this place where you get all this great food, and it's covered with your ticket, and it's right by the entrance where the players come out. I mean, this was incredible. These were phenomenal, phenomenal seats. My friend gave me access to something I couldn't have access to on my own. He had access to something, and him inviting me gave me access to something I, just, I wouldn't have had by myself. And we're going to look at that idea of access as we continue our series, what Jesus started, looking in John chapter 2. John chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to John chapter 2, verse 13. I want to give you some background on where we are in this. So John does a really good job of keeping track of the Jewish festivals, and we know that John chapter 2 verse 13, this time is right around the time of the Jewish Passover. And so Jesus goes up to Jerusalem as Jews would do, and he goes to the temple, and the temple was this incredible building. Uh, the second temple was built by Herod the Great. I mean, it was absolutely beautiful. Jews did not like Herod. Herod was not a good guy. Uh, But they, even Jews admitted at the time, like, man, he he did a phenomenal, the temple was just beautiful. He did a phenomenal job. And it was this massive complex, and around the temple, there's these various levels to it. There was a big courtyard called the the Court of the Gentiles. It's as far into the temple complex as Gentiles, as non-Jews could go. And Jesus goes in there, he goes into the courtyard, and he finds people selling cattle and sheep and doves, and other people were, were had set up a table, weren't exchanging money, and Jesus was deeply unhappy, was deeply unhappy about that. Now, well, let me give you some reason why, right? Animals were used to make sacrifice at the temple, and particularly around Passover, being the most important. Jewish festival. In the beginning of the Jewish year, I mean, this is a significant day to make a a sacrifice as they intentionally remembered the moment when God delivered the Israelites out of of Egypt, when God kept his promise to his people. And it's a specific remembrance of the last of the 10 plagues that God sent to to assert his power and authority to show all of Egypt who was God, that the angel of death would pass over the houses where they put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the lintel. That's why it's called Passover. That's why they were intentionally remember that time. These animals were used to make sacrifices, right? But if you're traveling from far away, you don't bring an animal with you. It's just that it's hard enough to travel with kids. You don't want to bring a pet. You're going to kill when you get there. You don't have to have to explain that. Where's the goat we brought with us? You didn't name it, did you? And so it made sense that they would have animals at the temple complex, near the temple complex, where you could buy as you could make your sacrifice, and and even the money changers made sense. There's specific reason for that. People gathered from all over for these important holy days, and because they lived all over, they used all sorts of different money. And Jewish males, age 20 and onward, were required to pay a temple tax that went to the upkeep of the temple. And the tax had to be in, paid in, in coins of the purest silver, the purest silver. So often, two Jewish men came together to pay their tax with one tetra, tetradrachma, because their tax would be half a tetradrachma. So you go in together, I will give one, that pays for both of us. And so it made sense to have money changers there, right? You bring whatever money you have, and you exchange it for the currency you need to pay the tax in, and, and the money changer would take a small fee for, for their troubles, so that was the situation that Jesus is stepping into here. But there's a problem with what's going on. There's a problem with what's going on. And the way we see Jesus interact with this problem really reveals two big truths about God, about God's heart towards people. And the first is this God draws the outsider in. God draws the outsider in. Let me read these three verses to you, these first couple of verses. so upset. Because at the most Jewish of times, in the most Jewish of places, in the most Jewish of times, in in Passover, in the most Jewish of places, in the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus is concerned for the outsider. Jesus is concerned for the outsider. The issue wasn't what was taking place Right? It wasn't a, a massive issue with the people buying animals for sacrifice. It wasn't a massive issue that there were money changers. Those were valuable things that were needed by the pilgrims that were making this trip. The issue wasn't what they were doing. The issue was where they were doing it. Because they were doing it in the court of the Gentiles. And it had become this loud place. I mean, sometimes I think we read stories like this. it's like the Hallmark version of the, the, the story. It's like, the, oh, and that's adorable. That Jesus sounds adorable. But just paint this picture, right? You go to the temple. It's a Passover. It's Passover. It's, it's massively crowded. There's lots of people there. You, so you got a ton of animals, ton of sheep, and goats, like all these animals, and they're making lots. Animals aren't quiet, like, I, I'm not much of an outdoorsman, but I'm aware animals make noises. And so particularly if they don't want to be here because they're looking around going, where's Bessie? She didn't come back. That can't, that can't bode well. So they're making noises. You got people changing money. You get, you're probably have lines. There's lots of people talking. This is loud. It's loud. It's chaotic. And they're blocking the court of the Gentiles. The court that exists so Gentile people can come into the temple and experience what the worship of God looks like. Because remember, the temple in Jerusalem represented the presence of God with his people. So these business people are preventing access to the temple and access to the presence of God for for Gentiles. Outsiders didn't have access. And that was a problem because God's heart has... Has always been for the outsider. We see way back in the New Testament that through Abraham, God will bless all of the nations, not just a couple people, but all the nations. The Jews were meant to be a light to the nations. They're meant to be a set apart people so people could see who God is and what it means to know Him. People were meant to be drawn into this. And it's a problem that there are barriers here, that access has been blocked. I did not enjoy middle school. Anybody with me? Man, I didn't know who I was or where I fit in and I was shy and I was awkward and, and insecure. And I wouldn't go back and redo middle school for all the money in the world. If you're in middle school right now and you're having a great time, I'm very glad for you. If you're in middle school right now and life is hard, it gets better, trust me, it gets better. But because I, I, like, I didn't know where I fit in, and we'd moved to Michigan or in my seventh grade year, I just didn't know, God, I didn't know who I was, and I just was lonely. I really struggled with being lonely. I had an art teacher named Paul, and Paul was a really cool guy. Paul played drums at our church. Paul started to take an interest in my life, and I got to know his family, and he started giving me drum lessons, and then he would just kind of invest in me and spend time with me. A group of guys went to go to a conference in Detroit and he brought me with him. He, he, we played Nerf, uh, Nerf baseball. Like I, he was a big part of my life. And Paul helped me feel like less of an outsider because I definitely felt like that. I felt like an outsider. I didn't know where my place was. Like, I didn't know where I belonged. And Paul brought me inside. Paul brought me and included me and helped me feel like I belonged there. He took an interest in my life and included me. He brought me in. And that's God's heart for people. That there would be no insiders. That, or there would be no outsiders. I'm sorry, because all are invited in, that all would be insiders. Outsiders don't have access. By definition, they're outside. If you're an outsider, you're outside of something. But God is deeply concerned for the outsider. God loves outsiders. And through Jesus, God gives outsiders access. He invites outsiders in. I love the picture that it gives in Hebrews 4, that we can approach God's throne of grace with boldness and confidence so that we may receive mercy and find help in our time of need. We can approach God's throne, the throne of the sovereign, all-powerful God, with, with confidence. That's, man, that's direct access I don't make an appointment. I don't have to go through 15 undersecretaries to get there. I don't have to to work my way through the bureaucracy. I'm invited directly into God's presence because God's heart is for the outsider. God wants people to know him, to experience him personally. And Jesus is the means by which we do that. Jesus is God moving towards the outsiders that we might become insiders, might be brought in. Jesus is the skeleton key that opens every door Jesus is the barrier remover, the ultimate barrier remover, and that's why Jesus comes in. He make, takes cords, he makes a whip, and he starts driving out the animals. And I think what's important here is sometimes we think of Jesus as this super gentle sort of Galilean hippie, this like he wears Birkenstocks and he's very kind. And like Jesus is God in human form. There is righteousness to Jesus, and when Jesus sees the the house of, of the Lord being defiled this way, when he sees access being prevented to those who are far from God, he gets angry, righteously angry. And it's important to know that I don't think Jesus was seeking to harm people, right? Jesus didn't make a whip to harm people. That's not who Jesus is. think Jesus made a whip as like a livestock encouragement device to, like move, like the, to move them this way, Imagine the chaos. You got people are yelling. Tables are flipped over. You got money changers scrambling to to pick their coins back up. You got animals running around. There is just utter, utter chaos right now. And Jesus steps into that. He really is willing to cause that, to point out the brokenness of a system that is keeping people far from God who God desperately wants to be close to him. Jesus removed barriers. In John 2, there were very real barriers that kept people far from God away from the temple. Very real barriers that impacted the access the Gentile community had. And because of what the temple represented, access to God. We experience barriers as well. These barriers that Jesus tore down point to the barriers we experience. Some barriers we've set up on our own, some others have set up for us, and still others just exist because we live in a broken world. What are your barriers? We've all experienced a lot of these in the last two years. Maybe it's isolation, maybe it's disconnection, maybe your barrier is distraction, it's just easier to kind of dull your life rather than have to deal with the the things that are hard or the big questions. But there's other barriers. Maybe it's past hurts or or pain or baggage. Maybe it's a barrier for you is broken relationships. You can't see God for who he is because of an unhealthy relationship with a father or a mother or a boss or a spouse. Maybe it's injustice. How could God let this happen? Maybe a barrier for you is self-worth Is not feeling good enough. Maybe a barrier for you is feeling a little bit too good. What are the barriers for you? Because what I want you to hear is that Jesus came to break down barriers between us and God. Jesus came to be the bridge that we could never make on our own, to give us a path that we could never walk by ourselves, to be known and loved by the God of the universe, because God's heart is for the outsiders. I've experienced that in a real way here. Being new and coming on staff in September, at a hard time to join staff because of what's going on in the world. I feel like a part of the team here, not because of anything I've done, but because there are people who've worked hard to help me feel like that. Deb Barlow was so kind to me when I was interviewing. She did such a good job making me feel welcome. When, when she told me they were going to offer me the job in her email, she's like, you better say yes. And I felt so cared for, so invited in. Warren Bailey and I co-managed the fantasy football team. And Warren didn't know me at all, but he was so kind and, and welcoming me and helping me feel like I belonged here. Scott and Jill Timmerman in Quakertown were so kind to seek me out and to, to find out how they could be encouraging and just speak life to me through this process. People reached out to me to help me feel like an insider. God's heart is for the outsider to draw them inside. God draws the the outsiders in. But God, the second thing we see about God's character here is Jesus draws the insiders out. Jesus draws the insiders out. Let, Let me keep going with this passage. In verse 16, it says, to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews responded to him, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it again in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Jesus draws the insiders out. Because one of the things that we see Jesus say explicitly here is that God is not at a place. God is with a people. God is not at a place. And Jesus was that full, the fullest picture of that. Right? For Jesus to say, destroy the temple and, I, and I, I will raise it again in three days, he's not talking about this physical temple. Jesus is saying, this is no longer the presence of God, that I am the presence of God, that I am the message of God for humanity. That Jesus is saying, access is no longer mediated through this, this, this process at this place, it is through me. And Jesus is God incarnate in human flesh who's come to earth that we might understand him. Jesus is God condescending to us that, that we might experience who he is as in our limited finite human capacity. And it's not enough for it to stay there. The church isn't the new temple. Jesus is the new temple. Jesus breaks down barriers. So the outsiders can feel like, can can be insiders, but then the insiders need to be part of that process. And And the challenge for us is we've gotten spectacularly good at building barriers as a culture. We've gotten spectacularly good about building barriers. Sometimes for some of us, we care about the wrong things too much and it alienates other people around us. Sometimes, for some of us, we care about the right things, but we do that in the wrong ways, and that alienates people around us. We can be far more concerned with having our viewpoint heard than in hearing someone else's, and we can allow worldview and specific ideologies and specific beliefs and specific frameworks to supersede the reality that the gospel matters most. Folks, there is one truth worth building your life around. One! It's Jesus Christ and him crucified. There's nothing else. But sometimes when we're insiders, we lose sight of that and we add all of our other stuff to this mix and it gets complicated and confusing and and people don't know how to to engage with that. I worked with middle school students, uh, I worked with students for a long time and, and with middle school students in particular, what I noticed was interesting. Nobody sets out to build a clique. Right? Nobody sets out to do that. Nobody gets together a group of friends like, hey, who can we alienate? Who can we systematically make feel less than and like really hurt them at a soul level? Who can we send to counseling in 15 years? That's not happening. What I noticed happening was this simple idea that really is true for adults as well. People are so desperate to belong somewhere, so desperate to belong that when they finally do, they're so excited to belong that they forget what it feels like to not belong. And their effort then becomes retaining their their sense of belonging now instead of bringing others into that same belonging. And before we go like, yeah, middle school students, right? It's like, no, adults are even worse at that. We so desperately want to matter in some way that once we do, we forget what it feels like to not matter, what it feels like to be on the outside, what it feels like to not be included. And our energy and our effort comes to preserving our slice of belonging instead of giving belonging to as many other people as possible. We can be so glad we made it. We forget to bring others with us. That's the religious community that Jesus is addressing here. These religious leaders who were in charge of the system, I mean, they had this, this mechanism in place. And Jesus is upsetting their system. He's upsetting this order. The insiders are, are the ones who should know the best that erecting barriers, erecting obstacles is not a good thing. And Jesus goes after them. They were making the interaction between God and experience with with God more difficult for those who were furthest away. They valued convenience more than experience. Right action mattered more than right heart. Sure, do this thing in the easiest way possible. Religious piety mattered more than mission. They were getting the what done while losing sight of the why they were doing it in the first place. The what mattered more than the why. And folks, that's legalism. The what without the why is legalism. Well-intentioned, well-meaning piety or devotion or religion without Jesus is still empty. And the danger for us is we fall in love with the means and the mechanics of worship and we lose sight of the object of worship. We lose sight of the object of worship. We focus on the process of how to worship instead of focusing on the object of our worship. And so Jesus is challenging the insiders here. He's drawing them out. He's trying to to move them towards something greater. And they're impacted by this because they're wondering, who is this guy doing this stuff? He just steps in here and does this? Who is this guy? And an interesting question when you read this is why didn't they have him arrested? They're well within their rights. He was upsetting the temple temple process. He was upsetting temple commerce. They seem to be within Jewish law of every right to have him arrested. And I think it's fascinating that they didn't. We don't ever see it come up in this text because somewhere something told them they couldn't just blow this guy off. Something somewhere told them there may be something to this guy. And so they asked Jesus for a sign. Give us proof. Give us proof. They knew there was something different about him. And Jesus said, I got a sign for you. That's my paraphrase on that. You want to see a sign? How about resurrection from the dead? How's that grab you? We can be like the religious leaders in this story. I read this and I see myself in that because we don't like when Jesus challenges the status status quo. We know there's something about him that we can't reject outright, so we, we want him to prove himself to us. We can ask ridiculous and selfish things because we don't want him to be who he says he is because we don't really want to change. I want all of the freedom without any of the obligation. We don't really want to let go of control. Happens multiple times in the New Testament. And I think this is true of our hearts too. God, I'll believe you if you just show me a sign. If you just show up in the way that I want, in the moment that I want it, then I will believe and you can prove it to me. But a God that would bend to our whims is not a God worth worshiping. I want a God who knows what's best, not who trusts me that I know. Because I, spoiler alert, I don't. Our church, we as a church, are supposed to enter into the world and be barrier breakers, and yet often we're barrier builders. Unintentionally setting up obstacles, making it harder for people to come in, adding stuff to Jesus, like you you gotta believe this, and you gotta believe this, and you gotta believe this, and you gotta believe this, instead of saying you gotta know Jesus. You gotta know Jesus. That doesn't mean truth doesn't matter doesn't mean we throw the Bible away and only pick the parts we like. It means the opposite. It means we believe all of it because what it points to, the macro message is that Jesus Christ and him crucified is the game changer. That's the game changer. And that we as insiders need to have a heart and a focus for those who are not here yet. Because there are some things that we're gonna do as a church that our outsiders are gonna see as a barrier. Singing together. It's going to be hard for some people. Take a communion. That's going to feel weird. Talking about the need for a savior. Those are things we're not going to compromise on because we believe that's true. So how can we remove as many of the other less important barriers as possible to invite people to Jesus? A couple years ago, I uh, picked up a seasonal job at a Nike outlet because I love sneakers. Love them. I'm making up for a childhood of boring sneakers now as an adult. And when I was um, filling out my paperwork, one of the managers said to me, just so you know, man, you're gonna love this because the discount is obscene. And they were correct. My goodness, it was incredible. I worked there for like a month or so around Thanksgiving and they basically just paid me in shoes. <laughs> I got 30% off everything in the store, even off stuff that was on sale. But the best part was that there was a special Nike employee website that when you logged in, the whole thing was 40% off. I feel like the first time I looked at that, I just wept. Now, I could have just called my, my friends and rubbed that in. I, particularly my brother, I have a younger brother, and it's like, that's the thing a brother should rub in. It's like, hey, how much are you paying for your shoes? <laughs> but the best part of this was I got to include everybody in my family. They didn't have, I didn't have to be there with them. I could sign my, my brother, my parents, my wife, I could sign my kids up if they weren't all in elementary school. Sign my in laws up, I can sign my sister in law up, I can sign her husband, I can sign my other sister in law up, I could sign them all up so that they could on their own go in and use their own code and get access to the same discount. They didn't even need me there. That was incredible. I was super pumped about that. When my status as an employee changed, my access changed. I got access to all of the, this, this huge benefit, and I, I could have just enjoyed that for myself, but I wanted others to experience that as well. When my status changed, my access changed, and it changed for them too. Because I wanted them to come with me, enjoy this thing. And that's where we're called to be as insiders. Insiders to move out towards those who are outsiders, to those who are disconnected, because all of us, if we would call ourselves followers of Jesus, have at some point been an outsider that through the grace of God, has, he's moved towards us to rescue us out of our confusion, out of our rebellion, and brought us inside. And for most of us, he has used others, pe- other people to help make that possible for us. How can we be that for others too? Because Jesus is not outlining here a members only club that once we get inside, we get great benefits and we lament those on the outside that don't experience it. This is a club we want to bring everyone possible with us to if we really believe it's that important. How do we remove as many obstacles as possible so that outsiders can be insiders? Because in John 2, what we see laid out is the ultimate insider became an outsider so that those who truly are outsiders can become insiders. That's what Jesus has done. So I want to leave you with a couple questions to think about this week. And the first is, are you taking advantage of the access you have? If you're a follower of Jesus, you have access to the, the sovereign Lord of creation. Are you engaging with God about the realities of your life? Are you talking with them about your hopes, your fears, your pains, your hurts? Because you have access to the one who can change things, who who can bring life and hope into the, the, the hardest situations. I would ask you, as one of the pastors here, ask God this week to help you understand what barriers we may be intentionally or unintentionally creating as a church. Ask God to help you see where you may be creating barriers for others in their experience of Jesus. Because I'm telling you, you are. I am too. We are. So how can we be aware of those and remove as many as possible? What can you do this week to start removing those barriers? I want to suggest maybe it's as simple as volunteering somewhere in the church. That part of the way we we open up access to outsiders is by having people to care for them. And we would love for you to consider being a part of it that way. But for some of us, it's just building relationships with people who don't yet know Jesus on purpose. Because if we believe it's that important, we should want to bring as many with us as possible. God's heart is for the outsider and always has been. And in this moment with Jesus, we see that come the, the fullest expression. Jesus saying, the temple will be destroyed and rebuilt in three days, pointing to the fact that the true temple is not at a place. It's a person. It's Jesus. Why don't you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you that that's who you are. That you are a God who has a heart for the outsider. Because, Father, we know that that is all of us at some points. We have all fallen short of the glory of God, Lord. All of us have sinned. All of us need to be rescued. And yet you have moved towards us through your Son that we might be brought in Father, would you help us to understand that truth in a deeper way this week? And would you help us to live that truth out so that others around us see it? We want to exist as a church to see people's forevers changed by the the gospel, by the hope of Jesus. Thank you that you would move towards us that way. Pray this in your son's precious name. Amen.